Welcome to Sweet Talk. This broadcast is brought to you by the Continuing Education Workforce Training Division of Idaho State University's College of Technology. This podcast is part of our continuing outreach efforts and the format is conversational. We will be having conversations with businesses, professionals, entrepreneurs, community agencies, and in all cases, difference makers. Now, let's get started with Sweet Talk. Welcome everyone to the Sweet Podcast. Thanks for joining. My name is Raylynn Price. I'm the Health Programs Coordinator for Idaho State University's Continuing Education Workforce Training, or SWEET for short. Um, joining us today is Chad Bannister. He's the Bannock County Deputy Sheriff. He currently serves as the law enforcement representative with the Region 6 Behavioral Health Board, is a part owner in a small training center for student and adult athletes, and has recently partnered in a not-for-profit called Resilience to work with kids and adults in crisis and recovery. We will be talking with Chad about his not-for-profit resilience. Our format will be conversational and focus on our topic and guests for 20 minutes. In fact, the clock started with the welcome. And after 20 minutes, no matter where we are in the conversation, we are done and we will wrap it up. <laughs> so um, hello, Chad, and welcome to Sweet Talk. Thank you. Several years ago, uh, you were in the construction business yeah. and now you were in law enforcement and involved in resilience. So please tell us a little bit about this journey okay. and how you ultimately became involved with resilience. Um, yeah, so I guess it's a good thing you gave me a 20-minute warning. Um, <laughs> that's the way I look at it, as that was my 20-minute warning. Um, so um, I guess my journey actually started um, when I was in the construction business, when the economy tanked um, back in 2008, 2009, 2010, right? Um, and uh, I was sitting on several homes like a lot of people, and uh, um, I lost my home, lost my cars. We started over, hit the reset button. That put me in a really bad place um, for my mental health um, for several years and really struggled with it. Um, I didn't know what was going on at the time. I didn't know anything about mental health. I didn't know uh, anything about any of that stuff. But uh, um, that's kind of where my journey began. Um, that journey ultimately led me to becoming a law enforcement officer. Um, I became a law enforcement officer um, after I uh, gave up trying to be a real estate mogul and a construction magnet, which was my goal, and retired by the age of 55, right? Um, so when I became a law enforcement officer, um, it was really my first introduction to actually getting to know the, the people um, who are addicted and who are in recovery um, in a different way. Uh, I have family members who've struggled with that, um, in-laws um, who have struggled with that and uh, never really understood where they come from and why they um, did the things that they did. Um, <clears throat> in becoming... Uh, a law enforcement officer, I was given an opportunity a couple of years ago uh, to become a school resource officer for Marsh Valley High School District. Um, and uh, to say that that changed my life uh, would be an understatement. It, it literally has completely changed the direction um, of the next, you know, whatever, 25, 35 years, however many more years I get to spend on this earth because um, 
when <clears throat> when I started working with these kids down there, um, and there's a, always the group of kids, uh, Marsh Valley School District does not have a, uh, an alternative education system. So um, when kids get in trouble, they stay in the school system down there. Um, most of these kids are on uh, IEPs and special education decrees. Um, a lot of their behaviors um, are a result of their IEPs and their special education decrees, and so they cannot be removed from school for them. So we <laughs> we had some problems down there, and I had to. I took it upon myself to try and figure out how to to help with that. Um, and in talking with, uh, we're very fortunate here in Bannock County. Talking with Judge Murray and uh, um, some of the local. Um, Probation officers, um, Judge Murray's very forward-thinking in uh, childhood trauma and stress. Um, so we were able to start looking down that road to get some help for uh, the teachers in Marsh Valley who were struggling and dealing with some of these students who are coming in on a regular basis. Um, Trying to find solutions to yeah. our very real problem. A absolutely. So... Um, <clears throat> I guess my journey and how I found out about this stuff was about uh, um, just about two years ago. I went to uh, Idaho Juvenile Justice um, Conference. There, all of the speakers seemed to have an underlying um, theme. Uh, didn't matter whether I was going to a, a, a talk on addiction or whether it was a talk on um, human trafficking. Um, everybody was talking about adverse childhood experiences and trauma. And when I left there, I thought, well, there's there's something to this, and I need to look into it more. But not only that, um, while I was there, a couple of the speakers, every time they would start talking about these conditions and the things that are caused from adverse childhood experiences and childhood trauma, um, all of my kids kept popping into my head. I went, that's so-and-so, that's so-and-so. Um, and I could absolutely, I started to get, a clear picture as to what was going on and I'm like okay there's a reason for this if there's a reason for this we probably have some understanding better on how to fix this stuff mm -hmm. and there's some probably some training that we can do so that started my deep dive um, into this um, in doing so um, in sitting in that uh, conference um, it became very personal to me not only for the kids that we were um, that I was involved with down in Marsh Valley, but um, on the home front, um, because the first time uh, for those who are familiar, uh, uh, probably jumping way ahead on things here, but <laughs> so, jump wherever um, you need to go. <laughs> gotcha. So let me just—it it became personal to me because I found out that my wife—I I knew she was. I—I've I, known my wife's literally my entire life and um, she is a 9 out of 10 on the ACES assessment and I'm going to explain to you what that means really quick. Um, so in 19, uh, so back in 1994, um, a psychologist and a, and a, a medical doctor, um, Dr. Uh, Robert Anda and Vincent Felitti um, put together what was called the Adverse Childhood Experiences um, Study. Um, was a landmark um, study that has, um, I honestly, I know that it will change the way that we actually um, work in the medical field and everything in the future. It's already starting to um, <clears throat> because we're, it's going to change the way that we treat people. Um, 
instead of starting with physiological responses, we're going to start with um, what's going on in the brain and that's causing these physiological responses. Um, psychosomatic manifestations of, of brain maladies is, is what we're seeing for the most part today. And when I talk to my friends who are doctors, they, they completely concur. Um, so what happened in 94 was a uh, little background on Anda and Felitti. Um, one of them, uh, like I said, was a psychiatrist. At the time, um, psychologist, a psychology textbook actually said that uh, um, sexual molestation and rape was exceedingly rare, happening may possibly in one in a million cases, which at the time would have meant that there would have only been about what a few hundred cases in the United States of America, and this is in the early 70s, this is what's being taught in, in, uh, in psychiatry, <laughs> um, uh, to, to people who are becoming psychiatrists. Well, he knew that this was wrong because he's like, if this is the case, then I have every single one of those people in my practice, yeah, <laughs> and so, but to say otherwise was heresy at the time, right? And so he knew that there was something else uh, that was that was uh, going on um, with the people that he was seeing in his in his office, regardless whether it was depression, anxiety, suicidality um, that he was dealing with. Um, Vincent uh, Vincent Felitti um, was running a weight loss program. Um, he was working with. Uh, um, mostly women who were extremely overweight, um, two to 300 pounds overweight, um, incredibly successful as a physical trainer, um, or, <laughs> or as a trainer, um, the idea of helping somebody lose 300 pounds in 53 weeks is incomprehensible, okay? But these are the kinds of things that he was doing. Um, however, what he was finding out was that a lot of times these people were dropping out of the program in very high numbers um, and gaining the weight back 300 pounds, 250 to 300 pounds, um, in less time than they lost it. Um, <clears throat> he knew that something was going on. He accidentally asked a question incorrectly one day in his practice when he was doing follow-up um, studies with some of the people who had, who had dropped out. Um, and he incorrectly asked one of the ladies um, when, I don't know what, I can't remember what the uh, question he was supposed to ask was, but he incorrectly asked them, when was your first sexual experience? And when she said three years old, hmm. he thought, I asked that incorrectly, she heard it incorrectly. So he just kind of skipped over it. And, and uh, at the end of it, he came back to it and asked it again, got the same answer. And he thought, okay, what's going on here? So next person, what do you think he did? Ask the same question. Well, he found out that almost every single one of the women who were in his obesity clinic um, had had some form of sexual uh, molestation growing up. And so this, of course, he started putting together, you know, uh, uh, studies and papers and writing on this and his samples weren't large enough. And he started to speak at medical conference and he was ostracized by the medical community. Um, at the time, um, Vincent, uh, but Anda and Felitti, um, fortunately, uh, were sitting in the audience listening to one another at one point and got together, which put them together with the Centers of Disease Control um, and Kaiser Permanente in Southern California. Um, so Kaiser Permanente is one of the largest health maintenance organizations in the country. Um, on an annual basis, they would screen about 50,000 people um, with a health questionnaire. Um, Centers for Disease Control was interested in the health outcomes aspect of what uh, Anna and Felitti were looking at. So Anna and Felitti spent two years putting together a 
questionnaire um, to add to this um, uh, health questionnaire, right? So um, there were 10 questions that they ultimately came up uh, to uh, score abuse and neglect, right? So they asked 25,000 people in 1994 to participate in this study. 17,300 and some odd people ended up participating, answering the extra 10 questions, right? What happened next was um, nothing short of transformational. Um, uh, Dr. Anda said that when he read the findings at the end of the study, he literally fell to his knees sobbing mm -hmm. because of what he saw. So <clears throat> when, when they started to look at the health outcomes, um, so this is, this is the, the scope of the people who answered this question. This is in Southern California, so immediately think, okay, well, we're probably going to have a lot of low-income people who are going to be involved in this assessment. Okay, well, no, this is Kaiser Permanente. These are people who have health insurance, right? So this was 80%, the demographic was 80% white, 74% college-educated, right? Um, 40 to 55-year-olds. Uh, um, and <clears throat> so these, this is the upper, upper middle class and the upper class. Um, this is not the, the, the poor in San Francisco and, and inner city LA, okay? This is the upper class in San Diego. Um, as soon as they answered yes to one of the questions, okay, some of the questions were, um, you know, about uh, uh, abandonment, you know, if you had a, um, a parent who was arrested or if there was a divorce or um, uh, any uh, died, um, uh, abuse and, and neglect questions. Um, you have to worry about where your food came from. Did you have to worry about wearing torn clothing to school? Um, if you're gonna have a roof over your head, um, did you have a parent who was an alcoholic or a drug addict or mental health problems, right? So these are the, these are the 10 questions. Um, and it was all based on honor before your 18th birthday. Now these people are 50 to 65 years old now, right? Or 40 to 55. Um, so at this point, 67% answered yes to at least one of these questions. Okay, so now these are people, excuse me. <laughs> Take a breath. <laughs> <clears throat> These are people who, um, I, I mean, I look at it as like a cross-section of Pocatello, Idaho, and any time <clears throat> anytime that this um, assessment has been repeated anywhere in the world, um, even in other countries, um, the demographic has been um, very similar and the outcomes have been almost the same. 67% can answer yes to at least one question, right? Mm -hmm. So, but as soon as you answer yes to one, to one question, the odds that there's another one is gonna go up. Because if you live in a house with an alcoholic, probably gonna have some kind of physical abuse, right? You're probably gonna have some other forms of neglect. Um, good chance that you're gonna have somebody end up in the family going to jail or leaving, right? And so you start to see um, a pretty quick increase. Um, so what they, when they started going back and extrapolating the information health-wise out of this, they, they started noticing um, the immense poor health outcomes, um, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease with one um, ACE went up like 1.7 times. With four or more, 380%. Um, so, yeah, um, ischemic heart disease, number one killer in the country now. Um, actually, I think heroin's overtaken that now. But um, so, but 540% increase with a four or more ACE score, right? 
And so then they thought, well, people who are involved, who live in houses with uh, drug addiction and all this other stuff, uh, you know, obviously they're probably going to be more apt to take on risky behaviors, right? So, um, so they went back and, and they modified for these risky behaviors. And guess what they found out? That only attenuated 50% of the score. So whether or not you took part in the risky behaviors, you still had a 50% greater chance of having the same health outcomes. So what was going on there? This is obviously, this isn't something that is just like, eh, you know, it, it, it probably just happens. Um, yeah, so absolutely. Risky behavior, like for heart disease, there's a list of risky behaviors. So we're talking about smoking, drinking. Sure, right. um, so yeah. if you didn't engage in those kind of at-risk behaviors for that, you still had, would you say? 50%. It only, it only attenuated the risk by 50%. It cut it in half. So instead of 580% with a score of four, now you're at, uh, what would that be, 200 and. Uh, 50 plus 20 270 <laughs> so, you know okay incredible so, statistics right. isn't it yeah it's oh, yeah, okay. it's so yeah you can see why this stuff is just um, when i started to look at this originally i just was like oh my gosh you've got to be kidding me and then we started and then they started looking at things like unexplained pain um, you know like fibromyalgia and, and okay you know this is you know fibromyalgia you talk to most medical practitioners to tell you uh, it doesn't really exist it's a psychosomatic manifestation you know it there's no such thing as fibromyalgia well there is um, because it's it's um, neural networks in the brain that are telling you you have pain in your body, just like an amputee is going to have pain in an arm that is not there, right? Same exact things going on. Um, <clears throat> so, um, like I said, my wife's a nine out of ten. Um, my wife's been suffering with severe um, abdominal pain for over two years now, and had several medical procedures. We could not figure out what was going on. And then I go to the, I, to, to the Idaho Juvenile Justice Conference Center, and I'm like, my wife's a 9 out of 10, unexplained pain. What is going on? So, you know, obviously I bring this up to our doctor, and he's like, absolutely. And he said, that's exactly what I think is going on. He said, if you remember our last visit, he said, I told you if, you know, the next procedure doesn't work, we're going to have to go a little higher. I was not talking about her heart or her neck. I was talking about her brain. Yeah. And so, you know, fortunately, we do have, you know, uh, some medical staff who understand this stuff. And uh, if, if you'd like to do some uh, quick um, research on this stuff, Dr. Nadine Burke Harris out of San Francisco, California, um, is, is phenomenal. She has some incredible YouTube talks. Um, uh, her book, The Deepest Well, um, is... is uh, it's foundational. She's one of the leading researchers in uh, the genetic and epigenetic structure of, uh, of childhood trauma. Um, and she has changed the outcome for tens of thousands of, of kids' lives in Southern California by bringing into her practice. She actually has uh, mental health practitioners in her medical practice. And that's her first line of defense. When you go into Nadine Burke Harris's office, you're actually given a mental health screening first. <laughs> that's going to be a game changer. Yeah, isn't it? absolutely. When they start to it, into place. No, yeah, it's no question because I mean, if 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 we have health outcomes like this, and so when you go back and look at the um, at the health outcomes, it, it's actually um, it's anywhere from fifty to seventy percent of the of the health problems that we have in the United States can actually be traced back to adverse childhood experiences and trauma and developmental problems, right? So a lot of people think, um, well, you know, a lot of kids, you know, they're too young to even 
understand what's going on. It's a good thing this happened when they were young, so that, you know they don't so know what's going on. Yeah. So it oh, doesn't affect them as they get yeah. older, right? <laughs> and it's absolutely so untrue because it's ten times worse um, in the early developmental stages. Um, they even in the womb. I, I mean, when a when a child is in its mother's womb and a mother is being beaten or under constant stress or duress. Um, when a mother's um, cortisol levels and adrenaline levels and are constantly going through the roof, you think they're not coursing through the infant's system and affecting the development of, of the brain, you know, which is literally now you know, um, dividing you know, on a daily basis with new, with, with new neural networks that it's, that it's creating in the womb. Um, so these problems start. Oh my goodness, that was way too fast. No way. Oh. oh. <laughs> That's all right. Continuing education, workforce training, SWEET, is comprised of professionals dedicated to serving your educational needs. We understand that when it comes to your future, it's all about you. Because our staff and faculty have real-world experience actually doing what they teach, our students obtain the skills and knowledge they are looking for to be competitive in today's marketplace. For more information, please visit our website, ctrain.isu.edu. That is c-e-train.isu.edu. Or call us at 208-282-3372. Okay. Do the close, Raylan. Okay. But put a little teaser on there at the end of the close. If they hang around, we've got to get. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. I apologize. No, this no, was, no, no, no. Gosh, dang. Yeah. We were like, and then like glue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was just about to say, where, where, where are we? About 10 minutes? Yeah. <laughs> no, that's. I know. I, I, so if you don't okay. mind, just do, do the close. Okay. What we'll do is we'll put an Easter egg on the back. All right. Okay, so tell me again what I'm doing. Just, just close the, the podcast. Pitch the, uh, the, uh, the event. Yeah. Oh Pitch my event. gosh, but I want to know more yeah. about this. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh. Leave them wanting more, right? Yeah, no. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I just pitched the event. Okay, okay. so wow, um, that went so fast. Yeah. Our time Crazy. is up, and I so appreciate you coming yeah, to talk to us today, Chad. Um, now, Chad will be speaking with us at our Mental Health Resource Fair on October 12th. And I personally cannot wait to see what the he's going to talk about now with the resilience. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, he did, did not get to get into resilience, ACEs, but yeah, it's incredibly um, important. But it's there's a lot of information, and it is a game changer. It's Absolutely. Fantastic. Chad, give us your contact um, so you reach out to us on Facebook, uh, BA2 Athlete Training. Um, if you message us on Facebook, we'll get back to you within a couple of minutes. Um, and uh, we would love to talk to you about uh, what we do and uh, how, how we're helping people with these issues. That's awesome. And yeah. so the resilience portion is in that BA2. Yep, yep absolutely. Okay. So the exercise portion of that is uh, foundational, and that's the next step. So. That's incredible. Well, thank you again. So appreciate Absolutely. you being yeah. here. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You bet. Okay. So, quick synopsis of resilience. Yes. <laughs> so. Okay. Do you want to take some of this? I'm taking oh, it. Okay. Yeah. So. Okay, so. 
so yeah, um, resilience. Um, basically, once we have a once we have an understanding, and I believe that an understanding of um, what is going on for people is huge. Every time I would talk with my students about what was going on, and I would explain to them aces, and you just they they would some of them would just sob because they would first time in their life have an understanding of what's going on in their brain, um, and that it's not necessarily their fault. It's, it's, there's something literally that happened to them that's caused them to be who they are and what they are. And now we can work towards fixing that, right? Um, well, believe it or not, exercise, um, back in uh, 2007, I believe, was the first time they ever saw neurogenesis in the brain under a microscope. Before that, it was, once again, heresy to believe that brain we got new brain cells, right? Well, the way we get new brain cells is from um, something called brain-derived neurotropic factor. Brain-derived neurotropic factor um, is the spark. That is what creates the new cells, right? Um, it is increased by exercise, by getting your heart rate for females up uh, from 65 75% of max, and for males, 80 to 85% of max. Um, and when you... Uh, add um, difficult movements in there where you're whether you're learning yoga or whether you're learning karate and you get your heart rate up at the same time um, you actually have another 38 percent increase in, in this brain derived neurotropic factor to create neurogenesis this creates new neural networks and learning new motor pathways um, helps connect the amygdala the hippocampus and the prefrontal cortex which if you understand the way that the brain works the amygdala is where our fight or flight takes place the prefrontal cortex is what tells our amygdala to chill out right and if <clears throat> and when we exercise and move we're creating new neural pathways between those okay um, once we have those pathways our brain will hijack those new pathways to help us learn and so that's why a pianist is better at math because the brain actually uses those same neural pathways that it took to learn these complex motor movements okay for, for math problems as well, right? So the same thing happens when we go out and we run and when we rock climb and when we do yoga and we tai chi, whatever it is, and we get our heart rate up at the same time, then we have all this new growth in the brain. So our brain literally changes shape and the damage that was done in our youth can be reversed by exercise. It's actually been proven in, um, in multiple studies that exercise is more beneficial than the SSSRI inhibitors that we have available for people with anxiety and depression. And when those drugs are stopped and exercise is stopped, the drug um, benefits go away almost immediately. The exercise groups will see benefits for over a year after the exercise is stopped. Well, why is that? Because there's new neural pathways. We've actually changed the, the brain. Right. So do you, um, when you say that the heart rate goes up, has to be what, 65? Yeah, so 70% of max is, is, is where you want to be for, for females. Um, for 30 to 45 minutes. Okay. And in tests that they did with rats, of course, you know, because they couldn't biopsy the brains of children. So, in the tests that they did with the rats, um, they found that the longer the rats ran, the higher concentration of BDNF in the brain, and the more often that they ran, the higher concentration. And then when they taught this, the rats um, skills and had them perform obstacle courses, they would learn um, incredibly faster um, than the counterparts who 
um, did not have access to running wheels and, and um, in, in these tests. So it's yeah, it's 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 fascinating. Exercise is it, it, you know once again if if it was a pill. Um, Everybody would want it, and if it, the funny thing is, is that if it was a pill, and I gave it to you, and I said this will fix everything that is wrong with you, all you have to do is take this pill, you and do it. and and <laughs> but before you take this pill, you have to run on a treadmill for thirty minutes, otherwise the pill doesn't work. You'd probably take it, even if it was a stinking sugar pill, and you'd probably do the exercise because you're taking a stinking pill. But if I tell you you got to go run on a treadmill for thirty minutes, you're never going to do it, right? <laughs> so, but, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so my question is then: is so you know that exercise then helps with those aces? Yep. But is there other? Do they have to do other things along with it to help them to dig down to the depth of that to like? Obviously, there's, um, and I, yeah, I don't want to oversimplify this. I mean, people who have had severe traumatic experiences and growing up, um, and my wife, um, unfortunately, she um, allows me to speak about these things um, and her experiences. Uh, um, you know, obviously, she's uh, currently, now that we've figured out what's probably going on and started to watch it, when her stress level goes up, her pain is actually magnified. And we've noticed that now that we know that that's probably what's causing it is that these are psychosomatic manifestations, mm -hmm. right? And so, yeah, she's going to cognitive behavioral therapy right now, and we're probably going to go through some EMDR um, and eye, eye movement desensitization, realignment <laughs> um, mm. uh, as well for her to help her put some of this stuff in its proper place in its brain so that it functions properly because even though people are can be incredibly resilient and understand that there are people who have horrible childhood experiences who have completely different outcomes who don't become alcoholics who don't become drug addicts who don't become abusers who don't you know have a lot of the problems that we see um, but their health outcomes don't change they still have the same health outcomes people who are incredibly resilient still have horrible health outcomes when it comes to the to the stress because the the HPA access which um, is turned on by the, the amygdala when we are in fight or flight these people constantly see bears everywhere when we see a bear in the woods and it raises up and scares us you know it's a really really good thing all of the things that happen when our adrenaline and our and our heart rate goes up right these are good things to happen but when that happens every single day all day long and you're constantly drowning in cortisol and you're constantly drowning in adrenaline and you're constantly drowning in uh, epinephrine and norepinephrine and it's like you've got the brakes on and the gas pedal on just floored all the time you know and you see disassociation you see all of these things and and the brain cannot function properly in fact the the cortisol massive amounts of cortisol literally erode neural networks and you'll actually see shrinkage of the dendrites um, in the brain it, it, when it's drowning in, in the cortisol. So, um, so and exercise, you know, combats all this stuff. And so it's, but that doesn't change the fact that, yeah, there's still, yep, you're still gonna probably have to go see a mental health counselor, which uh, we're working hard right now to change, you know, the, the stigma related to that, you know, because understand even as a police officer, you know, and, and working for the sheriff's department, we see some horrific things, you know, and for years there were stigmas, you know, don't, you know, it's you yeah, you're a tough guy, you just put it in the box it belongs in and store it away and you're good to go. You know, well, there's a reason why most police officers die within five years of retirement, you know, because um, they're struggling with this garbage that's going on in their brain and never figured out how to properly deal with it. And so we as 
we deal with that stuff now in specific ways that help us to put that stuff in perspective so that it's not eating us alive for the rest of our life. You know, um, so, That's yeah. Incredible. Well, thank you. Thanks. Absolutely. Thank you. No, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> one of these cases where our 20-minute format yeah, no, I'm sorry. <laughs>